630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Right circle, Hayes going to right point, Klingberg shoots, blocked, it's out of the zone, it's in the neutral zone, eight seconds left, Buckley Goodrow after it, shoots wide, right of the open net, time ticks down, the Lightning win the Stanley Cup, they have reached the top of the mountain, they are the Stanley Cup champs. Wow, that's all I can say is wow, what a job by these guys. That was about 21 hours ago inside Rogers Place in Ice District in downtown Edmonton. The Tampa Bay Lightning Stanley Cup champions for the second time in franchise history. Dave Mishkin with the call with a little bit uh, there from Phil Esposito on the side on the Tampa Bay Lightning Radio Network. Congratulations to the Bolts. We'll break down their victory and uh, take a deeper look into what's been a pretty successful franchise. Uh, well, really, certainly in the 2000s, a couple of Stanley Cups, a lot of contending teams, several trips to the Eastern Conference Finals, a trip to the Stanley Cup Final where they uh, lost to Chicago a few years ago. We'll get into all of that tonight. Baseball playoffs are underway. The Blue Jays in their wild card series in Tampa Bay, and they trail game one of the best of three. with one out in the top of the ninth. Vladdy Jr. just struck out, so Tampa Bay up 3-1 in the top of the ninth. Also today in the third, the Yankees lead Cleveland 3-0. The Astros upend the Twins 4-1 to take game one in that series. The Astros coming in under 500 for the 60-game season, only 9-23 on the road, but they went on the road against the Twins today. And the White Sox also victors away from home taking down the athletics 4-1 basketball tomorrow nba finals game one between the lakers and the heat we'll take a closer look at that with paul sir coming up later on the show happy to hear from you 780-496-0063 is the number both call and text hope you're having a great day my name is reed wilkins rob brown's going to check in a little bit later on and uh, we'll hit on some news and notes throughout this first half hour of the show and uh you know there were a few oilers connections in this series, Andrew Cogliano playing for Dallas, Andre Secra playing for Dallas, uh, Taylor Fadoon got into about half of Dallas's playoff games. Uh, he was an oiler a few years ago. On the bench for the Stars, you had Derek Laxdahl, who had been the head coach of the Edmonton Oil Kings, Todd Nelson, who uh, was briefly the interim head coach of uh, the Edmonton Oilers in the 14-15 season and a longtime coach of their uh, farm team in Oklahoma City. He was on Dallas's staff. And then on the Tampa Bay Lightning, it is uh, Patrick Maroon, who had an incredible season in 16-17, helping the Oilers make the playoffs and break what was the 10-year playoff drought at the time. Won the Stanley Cup with St. Louis last year, wins it again. He goes back-to-back with different teams, only the eighth player in NHL history to do that. And uh, he was talking about winning the Cup under such unusual circumstances. Obviously, we can go back and what what's going on in the world right now and the guys coming together and trucker said you know we we went to training camp and we had one goal to come here and, and to accomplish it and i think uh, a lot of us are gonna sit back and talk about this one a lot because this one was a special one it was a hard one to win and uh, i don't think it's going to sink in quite tonight but i think uh as days move forward and we're hanging out with each other in Tampa, I think it's, it's reality is going to hit and the boys are going to be celebrating and having a good time. So uh, I'm proud of these guys. You know what? These guys battled so hard and 
Uh, I thank these guys every day because they gave me an opportunity uh, to, to live my dream again. And these guys battled hard. And uh, I think we're just going to keep celebrating. And then I think we'll come back to you next year when it all sinks in. All right, that is Patrick Maroon of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Wins the Stanley Cup in Edmonton. Six-game victory over the Dallas Stars. Says so Some other hockey notes I want to get to today. It is expected to be officially announced tomorrow that the New York Rangers will buy out the contract of goaltender Henrik Lundqvist, who has been one of the best goaltenders in the league for the last decade plus. Uh, 15 seasons with the Rangers, 11 trips to the playoffs in the first 12 years, 11 playoff season uh, series victories, went to the cup final in 2014. Uh, what else does he have? Franchise records and wins for the Rangers with 459 tops and shutouts with 64. Won the Vesna in 2012. The resume goes on for this guy. An incredible career. Kind of pushed aside late in the season for the combo of Shesterkin and Gorgiev in net for the Rangers. So uh, the reports here that the uh, the Rangers will buy out the final season of his seven-year deal, $59.5 million total on that deal. So that'll free up about uh, $3 million in cap space for the Rangers. So look for that coming down officially tomorrow. Henrik Lundqvist, one of the great goalies of the past decade in the NHL, to be bought out. Well, I mean, you could even go back 15 years. I guess you could say he's he one of the best goalies uh, since the, uh, the 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 uh, work stoppage that that wiped out the uh, 0405 season. I mean, I guess you'd probably put he and Carey Price up there as the two best goalies in that span. Uh, incredible career. We'll see if he retires or decides to go elsewhere. But uh, that's what's going on with Henrik Lundqvist. As for the Edmonton Oilers, now we got the draft one week from today. We'll have special coverage here on 630 Chet. Round one a week from today. Rounds two through seven will be next Wednesday. Free agency starts next Friday. The Oilers are going to do something. Um, they've, been, they've been connected to a few players. Darren Dreger reporting today that they have expressed interest in Oliver ekman Larson. Now, everybody, we have been through this before, haven't we? If you're the general manager of an NHL hockey team and a player might be available, especially if he's a pretty good player, um, you better look into it and see if there's a way to make it work. Oliver ekman Larson is uh, you know, still relatively young. He is 29. He just turned 29 in July. He's uh, had some excellent seasons with the Arizona Coyotes. Perhaps the, the last two years or so, not up to the standards he'd established earlier in his career. Still a pretty good player. I think with Ep- Ekman Larson, the obstacle for me anyway, and you can let me know what you think, 780-496-0063, is the length of his contract. He still has seven years remaining. So it would take him up to the age of 36 at $8.25 million per year. Man, if you could get him in for two or three years, I think that would be perfect. I think if you're trading for Oliver Ekman Larson, you probably have to move out another left shot defenseman. That probably means Clef Bomber Nurse uh, go out. So would this deal be worth it uh, long-term for the Oilers? Short-term, it might be. Long-term, there could be some some pain. But look, if, if you hear... Uh, it, it's any GM's job to call on players and make an inquiry. Stoffer and I talked yesterday on Oilers now about the Jack Eichel possibly being available out of Buffalo. Well, there's a difference towards him being available and other GMs calling and saying, well, what would it take? What if I gave you this? So I'm sure Ken Holland has looked into Ekman Larson, just like he's rumored to look into uh, Matt Murray and Peter Mrazek and some of the goalies out there. No doubt part of his job. Ekman Larson, 
like I said, it's a short term would love it. Uh, long term, I would wonder if it would be worth it, especially depending on, on what you're giving up. Anyway, something to keep in mind there. Ekman Larson this past year, uh, 30 points in 66 games. Previous year had 44 and 81. I mean, he's basically about a half point per game player, and and you've seen what he can do uh, in, in other areas. Pretty good all-around defenseman. Now, uh, uh, and this is going to be now one of the big stories in the world of the National Hockey League. It'll probably get pushed aside a little bit over the next couple of weeks with the draft and free agency. What happens for next season? Well, Frank Cervelli with TSN today on their website wrote about the concept of hybrid bubbles. Hybrid bubbles. So this is not like a hybrid, like it's half bubble, half werewolf. It would be that it's uh, bubbles in various locations that are set up on a temporary basis. So Frank wrote about perhaps having four to six bubbles in various locations around the NHL. Uh, he also wrote, preferably in cities where fans would be allowed inside arenas. We have seen fans at NFL games, limited capacity. We did see uh, Tampa Bay and Dallas allowing fans to watch uh, in viewing parties of the games in Edmonton, not full capacity, but allowing some fans in building. And could there be a hybrid bubble in Canada, and with, with with restrictions between the Canada-U.S. border, could we indeed see an all-Canadian division at least to start next season? And maybe the seven Canadian teams play games in Edmonton for two weeks. And then, then with these hybrid bubbles, teams would go in for likely two weeks, and then they would go home for a week to see their families and reset, and then they would go to another city. So maybe you'd have Edmonton, Vancouver, Winnipeg, I don't know, host over the first month and a half of the season, and then you'd see where you'd go from there. So that's something else to, to keep in mind. I, this The next NHL season will not be a normal one. I, I doubt they're going to get to 82 games. Uh, I doubt they will use the divisional format that we've seen in recent seasons, at least to start the year. And, and again, it's probably going to go into the summer. It, it may not end until the uh, mid-July or late July. Matthew Schneider with the NHL Players Association was on Inside Sports last week. We didn't get a lot of time to talk about this because uh, this was right at the end of the show he joined us. And this was the answer to a question I asked right at the end of the show. I asked Matthew, what are the NHLPA's priorities for next season? I think guys want to play as many games as possible, you know, getting as close as we can to the 82 if we can. I think that's a that's a high priority. Um, you know, I know in, in different lockout years going back, we played as, as few as 48 games. Um, that's really not something that guys want to consider. Uh, and, and I think, you know, we've proven that we can play. Uh, all, all of the major sports have proven that. Uh, soccer, now we got college sports coming back. We can play. There's no question about that. Uh, it's just how can we maximize, how can we get back closer to normal, how can we get as many games as possible in front of as many fans as possible. And all those things are taken into consideration, but... I think, you know, the players have a certain comfort level knowing that we can play. It was extremely important for us to really work to come back in this return to play scenario and get this tournament and this Stanley Cup uh, under our belts. And I think that's given players an awful lot of comfort in knowing that we can we can safely play. Hopefully we've got a vaccine sooner rather than later. 
And if you push, you know, maybe into a January potentially start date, uh, I know Gary has mentioned a couple times, starting with uh, the Winter Classic, maybe something along those lines. But uh, I, I think we're going to really have to think about some creative ways. We've talked about, you know, playing a, a, a more efficient schedule where maybe uh, one team goes into a city and plays plays a series like baseball does, you know, three games, things like that. We might have to start with a Canadian division if we're still dealing with border border issues. Uh, so, you know, those are the type of things. And, and I think there's a willingness on both sides to be creative and try to come up with solutions that are going to work uh, to get as many games as possible in and then uh, and then another Stanley Cup final. Uh, the only the only restriction we have on the back end and it's, and it's a big one is the 20 uh, the Olympics uh, we don't we don't want to you know be competing with the Olympics I think from the Stanley Cup final uh, next summer so that's kind of where we're looking at the, at the stop date would be the end of July. All right, a lot there for Matthew Schneider and the hybrid bubble possibility floated by Frank Zervelli today. We'll break some of that down when we get back. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chat. So the Blue Jays uh, have lost 3-1 to Tampa Bay. Certainly some discussion over the the handling of uh, Shoemaker, the starting pitcher. Only went three innings, 35 pitches, didn't allow a run, but they chose to bring in Ray out of the bullpen. Blue Jays drop it 3-1, so they must win tomorrow. Remember, these are just best of threes in this round. Tampa Bay wins that 3-1. Got a text here from former D-man Mark, finished 117th in Norris Trophy voting in 114th. He says... Good evening, Reed. Here's the thing about Oliver Ekman Larson with Petrangelo available. Why would you bother? It makes no sense to give up up and coming assets to get a player who you already have in your system. Bouchard and Broberg are on their way. They will take time. Sure, OEL would pay off in the short term, but you would have to cannibalize your roster to get them. That would then require other holes to fill. Make no mistake, Petrangelo is the fish the Oilers should endeavor to land. They should be whining and dining him to make it happen. Then some of those assets you would have had to give up in an OEL trade could be used to fill the other holes. That is from former D-man Mark. Yeah, that's why I mean, I think that's a good point. The thing is, we don't know if Petrangelo is going to become available because they could still work out something he and the Blues by uh, next Friday. They have a week and a half to get a deal done. But I, but I understand what, you, what you're saying. If you go after OEL and uh, you trade away a couple of players or a player and a prospect and a pick or, or some sort of combination, it could create other problems uh, on the roster. The Oilers are deeper organizationally than they have been in a long time, though... I, I, I still think a lot of road to travel there to be truly where uh, where they want. Anyway, uh, another texter says OEL would likely uh, wave to come here and Petrangelo is not coming here. I don't think it would cost that many as- aspect assets. A first and a prospect starts the convo. I, I just think with their now maybe if Arizona retains salary, but but because of the Oilers cap situation, they, they would need to to trade a player back and somebody who makes at least a significant amount of money. 
that's why I threw out the names Clef Bomber Nurse. If you're going after uh, after OEL, I, I don't think you could get them for just a pick and a prospect, because then the then the Oilers would really have no money to to spend on anybody else. But uh, it'll be interesting to follow over the next couple of weeks for sure. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Okay, so uh, Matthew Schneider, we uh, we played that clip. Uh, from Matthew Schneider from the show last week, talking about Frank Cervelli and the hybrid bubble concept. This is what's really interesting about the National Hockey League. When they do a next season, they they probably won't, well, I shouldn't say probably because who knows what's going to happen, but there's certainly a chance that they could roll out a schedule that is not for the entire season. Now, they might say, we're going to play 60 games. Again, I've said this before, I don't know how they play 82. I really don't know how they get an 82. You heard Matthew Schneider say they want to play as many as possible. It seems like 60 is the most they're going to be able to get to. If they want to start in January, do a full playoffs and be done uh, by the end of July. But they have said repeatedly that how they start the season may not be how they're going to finish. So they may come out and say, here's what we're doing in January and February. And the schedule for March, March, April, and May is TBA, depending on travel, whether fans can go border restrictions, all those types of things. So that could be something that's, that could be quite different. Yet another thing that's different from how the seasons usually operate. Rob Brown will check in when we get back. Lost game one of their best of three to the Rays. Rays winning at 3-1. Yankees lead Cleveland 5-1 in the fourth. Astros knock off the Twins 4-1. And the White Sox beat the Oakland A's 4-1. NBA Finals will start tomorrow. A little bit more on that later on on the show. The Tennessee Titans in the NFL have suspended in-person activities through Friday. The NFL says three Titans players, five personnel testing positive for the coronavirus, now the, the uh, Titans played the Vikings in Minnesota on the weekend. The league says both teams working with infectious disease experts to trace contacts and perform more tests. Now, the Titans are scheduled to host the Steelers on Sunday. The Titans uh, will be unable to practice until Saturday at the earliest. Uh, last I saw on this, though, is that the NFL says that game will go ahead, but something to keep an eye on throughout the week. And I suppose if more positive tests come out of that as a result. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on 630 Chat. My name's Reed. The big L writing in, who I always love to hear from, he says, Hey, Reed, I was among the skeptics questioning whether or not the NHL should have attempted this tournament in the first place. Having watched most of the series, I have to offer the league players and broadcast teams a huge compliment for the job they did. Fantastic entertainment. In fact, the success of the bubble with zero positive tests, offers encouragement for a 2021 season and should be an example to the rest of society. Works if done with solid leadership and complete commitment. That is coming in from the Big L. Yeah, good job by the NHL. They got it done. Uh, you know, I, I wondered if they could pull it off. Pretty big in Denver. Uh, in Denver. Endeavor. 
but they were able to do it. Uh, Got to congratulate Bob Nicholson, Stu Ballantyne, Tim Shipton, and, and a lot of people who worked really tireless with uh, Oilers Entertainment Group to get it done and, and having Rogers Place and Ice District and the uh, the bubble in, in downtown Edmonton uh, all very, uh, very safe, and the games got played. You, you may have read the article in ESPN.com last week from Emily Kaplan and James Bashinsky. Uh, the players weren't always uh, fans of it. They didn't like everything about it. I don't know if there was ever going to be a situation that would be perfect for the players, uh, given that you know the teams that went deep were two months or longer away from home. But the NHL did pull it off, and that was uh, that was pretty impressive for sure. Tough, tough time though to be a member of the Dallas Stars. Uh, Jamie Ben trying to answer some questions after the game. Uh, it sucks. Um, I go through a lot with that group and. The Franks, Dallas Morning News. Jimmy, I know it's probably tough right now, but what will you remember about this group of guys? Saad Yusuf, The Athletic. Hey, Jamie. Um, just when you are you able to even kind of think about the run that you guys had or or is this just too much for you right now at this moment that was a good run um You're, you're two games away from Stanley Cup, so. Well, if you ever want to know what heartbreak sounds like, you can probably just play that clip. Jamie Ben in a couple of occasions, speak, uh, speechless there, answering questions after the game as we bring in uh, Rob Brown, or Inside the Game Analyst for our Oilers broadcast on 630 Chet and a frequent contributor here on Inside Sports. Rob, how are you doing? I'm doing well, and you, Reed? I'm uh, I'm doing quite well. It's good to have you on the show again, and uh, we're going to keep chatting and having you on the air, even though we probably won't have any Oilers games until January or thereabouts. But you, you hear Jamie Ben. I mean, there was that great commercial a few years ago during the Stanley Cup final um, where it was something like the Stanley Cup will leave you speechless, and it showed a whole bunch of players after they had won the Stanley Cup just not being able to put into words how it felt. But the other side of it, I think we saw there from Jamie Ben, is it's it's hard to put it into words when it all comes to an end as well. It is. I, I've been fortunate to have been on teams that have won championships. I won a World Junior. Uh, I won a, uh, an American Hockey League championship. I won a couple of Western Hockey League championships. But I've also been on the other side. I lost the IHL final and I've lost the Stanley Cup final. And you put your heart and soul and everything into uh, an opportunity to win. And losing in the first round sucks. Uh, losing into the second round, it, it's even worse. The third round uh, tops that. But then to get to the final and be so close to the realization of a, a lifelong dream and to be, well, the Dallas Stars two games away from it in, in, in a season where I don't think the expectations for them 
to win the Stanley Cup. We're outside of you. But uh, for most people, I mean, this was a, they were underdogs through three of the four series they were in, and they just kept on uh, with the next-man-up type model where they, they battled injuries, they battled star players not producing at the same level, yet they still pushed the Tampa Bay Lightning to, to game six. So to, for it to end uh, would be horrible. And I, I know what, I, what it felt like when I lost in the Stanley Cup final, how terrible it felt. I think it's going to be exaggerated for what all these players had to, to go through. I, I could not imagine spending eight, nine weeks in a hotel, not being around family and friends, not having the freedom to do the stuff you want. It had to have been Groundhog Day every single day. But you put up with it, you went through it, you sucked it up because you had a goal as a team. So uh, as, as much as Tampa right now is celebrating and are never going to ever forget what they went through with their teammates. Those teammates are best friends for life because they have they shared that moment the Dallas Stars are going to also going to have those memories with what they shared with their teammates and how far they over they they came and all the things that they overcome that over had to overcome uh, in their quest but for it to just fall just short as you heard in the the non-words from Jamie Ben, absolute heartbreak and, and completely understandable Rob, I wonder if you can take us into an NHL locker room or a pro locker room when you've been eliminated. You, you mentioned Chicago in 92. You guys went to the cup final. Um, you know, you, you were on a couple Penguins teams later in your career that went to the second round. And, and you, you know, you said you went to the the championship game in the, the championship series in the minors. You had one go your way and one that didn't. When it ends... Tell us what happens in the locker room. Will a coach try to come in and wrap things up? Will he leave the players ar- alone? Will a, will a captain or a veteran try to comment on the season, or does everybody just kind of want to be be left alone in, in those moments? I'm just wondering, or maybe different things happen with different teams. Well, normally you'll have the entire team will be in there. No one wants to undress no, because nobody wants it to end. I mean, uh, hockey players or, or athletes have the, the greatest job in the world. I mean, you get to play a game that you played as a kid, now you're getting paid to do it as an adult. And it's just fun. You don't want it to end. Because you know that once the season ends, things change. Because if you don't win the championship, there's going to be changes made because you weren't good enough. So you look around the room, first of all, knowing that all the guys in the dressing room aren't going to be back next year. There's going to be guys that are gone. There's going to be guys retiring, traded, uh, not re-signed. So the first thing when you get in there, everyone just sits in their stalls and... Uh, normally looking straight down or straight up. It's hard to make eye contact with anyone. Uh, and then eventually someone will stand up and, and say something, usually a leader or the coach will come in and he'll try to talk, but he chokes up. And there'll be half, you know, about a handful of guys that are crying, handful of guys throwing things. Uh, you'll, you'll see the, the ice bags coming out. The trainers come in, start wrapping players up with the ice bags trying to get uh, because there's there's injuries that you never hear about until weeks after the, the season's over this guy played with a broken foot this guy had a broken hand this guy had a bad back so the, the trainers start to heal them and then slowly one guy will take his equipment off go to the shower and it's for session after that but usually from the time you come off to the time the last guy takes the equipment off sometimes can be up to two hours because nobody wants it to end yeah, that that's uh, that that's something. And uh, again, you could just hear it in Jamie Ben how hard it was to to put into words for sure. And, and look, Tampa Bay is a great team. I take nothing away from them. I, I I stubbornly kept picking Dallas, though I certainly recognized they were an underdog in this series. 
And I think in, in last night's game, and again, I take nothing away from Tampa Bay, and we're going to have Joe Smith on who covers them for the Athletic in Tampa, but what a great franchise they've been, not just what a great season they had. But I, I do think there was an element, Rob, that, that Dallas just ran out of gas last night. I, I mean, they, they've played desperate. They've come from behind. And it seemed like the will was there last night, but maybe maybe the, the, the legs and the engine just weren't able to run the way they wanted them to. Well, for sure, that's that, that was the case. Um, it, for a team to win a championship, uh, they've got to have a lot of things go their way. First of all, they got to be the a good team, which Tampa and Dallas both are. But you, you need health. Uh, the team that stays the healthiest has a better opportunity to win. Uh, the one thing that Tampa had that you saw throughout the playoffs was they have depth. You know, Steven Stamkos, you know, the number two best player, number three, whatever he is, a top line, one of the best players in the NHL. He's out the entire playoffs. They didn't miss a beat. Their power play didn't miss a beat without him. Uh, but they've got guys. Patrick Maroon was on their fourth line. If he was in Edmonton, he would have been on the first or second line of the Oilers. He's on their fourth line. They got guys that Coleman played on, what, their third line there? I mean, he's, he's on New Jersey's first or second line. So they had such good depth that Dallas just couldn't compete because they had to see those guys. Tampa could roll all four lines throughout the entire game. Dallas couldn't because they had injuries and their depth, as good as it was, and is much better than a lot of the other teams in the Western Conference, they couldn't keep up. And the biggest thing for Dallas is their puck luck dried up in their star players, where Point Kucherov were incredible the entire playoffs. Anyone's ever doubted Kucherov, and I've talked to people, he, he, he's not McDavid, he's not Dreisaitl. Kucherov is one of the greatest players in the world, and we saw that in the playoffs. The best players at Tampa, bounces went their way. The best players for Dallas, they didn't get the bounces. Sagan had a number of scoring opportunities. Puck wasn't going in the net. Puck wasn't going in for Ben. And if your top players aren't producing, you're putting a lot of pressure on other players to have to step up. And Tampa's best players were better than Dallas's best players. So, But I agree, Dallas ran out of gas. When you are consistently trying to find something out of your third or fourth line or guys that are just getting their first or second games in the NHL in the playoffs, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. That's a big ask. So that's why there were so many people pulling for Dallas because to me, they were they were an underdog going in healthy. They're a much bigger underdog when the injuries started to pile up for them. Rob Brown joining us tonight on Inside Sports. I want to get to a couple of Oilers storylines with you, but let's let's just circle back to the other side of it for you, winning a championship. Uh, but that was that was 0-1 with the Chicago Wolves, the last International Hockey League game ever played. So what's the contrast there? Like, is it just all parting in the locker room, or is there sort of a quiet moment of, you know, my God, we did it, and it sets in? I'm wondering about the other side of the emotion here. The it's part when you first get in there it's all partying there's champagne you're spraying everybody uh jumping up and down you're singing songs i think the reflection comes probably the next day or the day after that when you start reflecting what you went through and, and you start thinking about the stories of, of how you got like i trying to say i think it was we I, the last year in the ihl we lost the championship i believe it was the first year that we were in the ahl is when we won okay and and when we, for us to win a championship, I think we faced elimination five or six times over the course of the playoffs. We were down in the very first series as a best of three. We lost the first game and we're in overtime in the second game. And actually the other team's best player had a breakaway in overtime. If he scores, we would have lost two straight first round. And then the next series we faced elimination in games four and five. 
faced elimination in the third round. Uh, so you start reflecting at how things could have gone the other way and the bounces you got and the characters and the dressing and the things that people stepped up. How players who uh, hadn't been a big part of your regular season had big moments in the playoffs. Uh, I mean, the year we won, the NH we started and the NHL was still playing. And we had guys that were playing for us, getting on a plane the next morning, flying to Atlanta, playing for them, getting on a plane the next day, flying home. And they were, so they were playing like five games in six nights so that they could play for us in the first series. So uh, those are the moments you reflect on. But normally it comes a day or two after. The first night is just pure celebration. And it's just a release because you've had so much pent-up anxiety, nervousness, energy, that now it's, it's all out because you've accomplished the goal that you wanted. Uh, yeah, I'm just looking back on that season now, and you guys had to play an extra round because they had yeah. the top ten teams. Uh, so you guys had to, you guys were the seventh seed, so you had to play the ten just to make the round of eight in your conference, and <laughs> that make it all the way to the finals. So, yeah, that was quite a journey as well. Okay, uh, a few storylines here for the Oilers. Obviously, the draft free agency. I was, I was speculating a little bit in the first half hour of the show, but Oliver Ekman Larsman. We'll see if something pans out there. It, it seems like there's a pretty good chance Yessi Puliyarvi comes back. Rob, I, I've said it a hundred times. I believe Puliyarvi was mishandled by the Oilers as a rookie, but that's a long time ago. I, I think I'm at the point with him. I, I obviously hope he's successful. Every, every player develops and, and things click for them at a different rate. And I know there's a lot of debate in, in Oilers fans. Well, what line should he be on? Who does he deserve to play with? I just think at this point, it, it's not so much about who his line mates, his coach, or his GMs, GM are. It's about him. He has to establish some sort of consistency. And you say it all the time, Rob, you got to be noticed. you got to be noticed because you're not going to score every game. Well, I don't think you can say he deserves anything right now. He's got to earn it. I mean, he hasn't been with the organization. There's other guys that have put in time and effort in either with the Oilers or down in the minors. He left. So, I mean, there's nothing he, he, he's going to be given, nor should he. Uh, he will be given an opportunity because this team isn't good enough right now the way they are. They've got to be better. Uh, for him, uh, hopefully it's a wake-up call that, uh, I mean, he was not a hot commodity around the National Hockey League. He wasn't. If he could have garnered anything, the others would have moved him. Anything that uh, could have made the others marginally better, the others would have moved him. So I think it was a realization that if he wanted to make an, a, a name for himself, he wanted to be in the NHL, he had to come back and prove himself here with Edmonton. And we've talked about it before. Before he left, before he, he decided he was never going to work. When you're a winger and you're supposed to score goals and you're a free agent or if you're looking for somewhere to go, you look for teams that got centermen that move the puck. And the Oilers have those guys. And the Oilers are weak on the wing. So this is the best opportunity that PRV is going to get in the National Hockey League. But he's got to do the little things. You don't play for a Dave Tippett hockey club if you cheat defensively, if, if you don't see the ice, if you don't read the ice. He's got to do those things. I don't know how he may have gained confidence where he was at. I'm not sure he became a better hockey player because it wasn't a very good league. It wasn't the American Hockey League. That's a much better league, the American Hockey League. So uh, he's got a lot to prove. Having said that, uh, the fact that he's coming back uh, shows that he understands his situation. And if Pliarvi becomes the player that, or half the player, what many people hoped for, then he can help the Edmonton Oilers going into this season whenever it starts but as far as deserved I don't think he deserves anything other than an opportunity to make a team 
Rob, it's going to be uh, fun having you on the show. We're still going to have you on. Always something to talk about, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about other sports stories throughout the fall as well. Unfortunately, the Blue Jays not able to, to do it today, but they'll try to stay alive tomorrow. I know that's a team you like watching too. Thanks for checking in, buddy. Sounds good, Reed. Take care. That is Rob Brown, our Inside the Game analyst for Oilers broadcast here on 6.30. Chad, a little bit on the highs and lows of what happens after a championship series and some thoughts on Yessi Pugliarvi as well. You can get in touch, 780-496-0063. We're back after the break. Spengler Cup, it's been cancelled because of the pandemic. Of course, held every year in Switzerland. Canadian national men's hockey team going up against European clubs. It was scheduled for December 26th to the 31st. It is the first time, pardon me, the fifth time, the fifth time the tournament has cancelled since it began in 1923, but just the first time it's been called off since 1956. The organizing committee saying it would have been nearly impossible to stage an event because of safety and travel concerns. Canada set a record with its 16th Spengler Cup tournament victory last year. So no Spengler Cup, December 26th to the 31st. During that time, the World Junior Tournament will be going on without fans here in Edmonton. And then next holiday season with fans, we'll have the World Juniors in Edmonton and uh, Red Deer. Joe Smith who covers the Tampa Bay Lightning, who have been a highly successful franchise, really for quite a while. We'll dive deeper into that between uh, 7 and 7.30, and we'll talk some hoops and other other sporting issues with Paul Sir from Basketball Alberta, the NBA Finals set to start tomorrow. I want to get this in quickly here before we go to the news. Back at the 6.30 Chet Broadcasting Compound. Uh-oh. A young man who is an important part of this show. He's become a friend over the years. I trust him completely. It is Kellen Kennedy. Happy birthday, Kellen Kennedy. How's your day? Hey, doing great. Thank you for the well wishes, Reed. Uh, it's been a bit, really busy day, but really fun as well. So, Another day, another year close to retirement, buddy. <laughs> That's <laughs> one way to look at it, exactly. Yeah, ho- hopefully you're not thinking about retirement quite yet. Ho- hope you're having a great day, buddy. Uh, I you know, appreciate your work on it. Some people take their birthdays off, but uh, yeah, we, is, we always plug away, so that's th- okay. This is the first time I've ever worked on my birthday, so this is the first tonight. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, exactly. This is, a, this is the first time I've ever tried it, so. <laughs> well, I, I'd say I would try to make it special, but I, I'd probably fail at that. Back <laughs> after the news. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.